today on Ag News Daily. So I originally got the idea to talk about this because at the time I was seeing like a lot of different things on social media that some of my peers were even sharing about how like PETA does this and PETA does that and how agriculture is bad for the planet. Good Wednesday morning, listeners. This episode today is brought to you by your soy checkoff. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Miss Sassitude this morning, Delaney Howell. <laughs> I'm in a good mood, Tanner. Don't, don't oh, that's what this my is? vibe. Yeah. That's what this is. Well, I tell you what, who else is in a good mood? Well, maybe they're not, but it's South Dakota farmers. Governor Christie has put in a temporary order that allows them to move their equipment after dark and before dusk. So they got an extra two hours on both ends of their days to try and squeeze these crops in. But what kind of weather are we experiencing right here, right now, Delaney? Crappy weather. (laughs) There's no other way to say it, Tanner. It's cold and rainy. And yes, Lots of weather headlines today, but actually, uh, not to steal your thunder, but weather out of all of us, because they've had some large hail reported overnight in western and central Texas, hammered by large storms that produced hail two to four inches in size. Yeah, That'll beat your truck up a little. Yes, it will. I mean, it's good to see Texas and Oklahoma getting some rain. That is much needed in some of their areas, but we certainly don't want it to come with storms. It seems like there is a large area for marginal risk of severe weather this afternoon and evening as you come up through Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. So some of these areas that have been wet are going to stay wet, unfortunately. Um, but it is good to see some of these areas getting a little bit of relief. Yes, absolutely. Although I, I suppose with hail that large, I'm not sure if you're getting a lot of relief. That is very fair. Let's take a moment right now to pause for a message from our sponsor today. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your Soy Checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your Soy Checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Tanner, as we continue down the weather front here, I guess this is somewhat news related, but just interesting, I think, overall. Um, this was reported by Successful Farming this morning. As you look at the number of severe weather events that happen every year, FEMA obviously helps with a lot of those folks that are dealing with different events. And they said that just a decade ago, they averaged about 108 disasters. So wildfires, tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, etc. The agency now is saying that they're receiving on average more than 300 disaster declarations a year and are expected to see that, if not more, this year with wildfires expected to burn through millions of acres in western states. Uh, Spring drought, you know, of course, in those states, while we're seeing really wet weather, tornadoes in the central plains, and hurricane season is also upon us. But 
it's just interesting as you think through the number of disasters, of course, what comes along with that is they need to have more funding available to be able to help those folks that do receive these disaster issues. And so they said they're feeling really intense pressure right now that they're going to have to plead for more money from Congress. And that comes with criticism on on several fronts. Yeah. So when you were in D.C., was there any talks in those conversations about FEMA or weather related disaster packages? Yeah, certainly there was because WIP and WIP Plus, which are 2019 and 2020 disasters, still had a, have had funding approved, but those checks still haven't been released. We're expecting to see those relatively soon within the next month or so get released, but no talks yet on 2021 disasters, 2022 disasters. I mean, it's like they're, they're funding those things, but typically, you know, you're a year, two, three years behind before you actually receive payment for some of those disasters you felt. And in some instances, Tanner, Unfortunately, that disaster money may not be coming quick enough and some producers may have to make tough decisions about, you know, selling their operation if things just don't cash flow for a couple years in a row if you're hit with those disasters. Yeah, correct. I think that's what we reported on a, a week or so ago is just the a lag time from the disaster event to the approved funding, which certainly makes you frustrated when you see projects like the war in Ukraine getting funded in a very quick fashion, you know. We're dealing with natural disasters here. They're dealing with a uh, man-made disaster there. And unfortunately, yesterday, the 24th, there was a report that a Ukrainian tractor driver was killed while spraying his crops. So uh, still trying to navigate those untriggered landmines. They're discovering that Russian forces have put these explosive devices in and around very strategic areas to block in and avoid traffic coming through. So fields on the edge of town seems to be a lot higher at risk. These unoccupied territories, still a lot of places where mines are put to create defense lines. And now they're even concerned, Delaney, that some of the Ukrainian placed mines are potentially still in play that haven't been picked up or disarmed yet. So uh, farmers in Ukraine are, you know, not necessarily concerned about the weather as they are these man-made obstacles. Yes. However, we did get some positive news for Ukrainian farmers that Russia has indicated overnight they are willing to unblock Ukrainian ports to export grain out of Ukraine, which has certainly um, pushed corn and soybeans lower this morning. But obviously positive news as we look at it from a humanitarian aspect of getting food to the places it needs to go. Yeah, but they still are going to struggle because uh, there's other reports that you know grain silos are stuffed clear full and farmers now can't get the diesel to get this to the ports. So uh, it is great news. It seems like a step in the right direction. But even though crops have now been planted this spring, most farmers are continuing to don their bulletproof vests and helmets, but what their worries are now for harvest season and unloading their currently full silos is supply of diesel fuel. So uh, some people are waiting up to two weeks to get their shipment, and that shipment's only good for five days. So a lot of sitting around and wait is what it sounds like until they figure out logistics of mm -hmm. the necessities on their farm. 
Yeah. And on the other hand, you know, as they're figuring out those logistics, it does sound like they've been getting quite a lot of the crop in the ground. Ukraine's Ministry of Agrarian Policy reported that so far they have seen now about 72% of last year's total plantings have gone in the ground. And I believe that they were expecting to be somewhere around that 72%, 75% mark of last year's crop planted. So by all accounts, they're kind of at where they expected to be for this year. And probably anything else that they get planted is going to be maybe quote unquote bonus, Tanner. That's the word I was going to use, but let's pause one. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. I shouldn't have been that giddy with that transition, Delaney, but uh, I felt pretty proud of that one. One area here that I don't think the FDA is very proud of is an update on the formula shortage. So we told you uh, early on that they were going to testify in front of Congress. So there's members of the FDA's uh, official committee, as well as representatives from the largest formula manufacturers in the U.S. sitting there. And they stated that the whistleblower report that alleged the food safety issues was mailed in October but did not reach the FDA's desk until February, even though it was sent directly to then-acting Commissioner Janet Woodcock. So believe it or not, Delaney, they're blaming the formula shortage on a mailroom issue for delaying the notification from October to February. Yeah, that does seem a little alarming that they waited that long. Well, and mailroom? Seriously? I understand we've got rail cars backed up at ports and we have transportation issues about getting goods across the country. But if it had arrived at your building and was in your mailroom, mm-hmm. why does it take three months to get upstairs? You know, I'm imagining it's upstairs, get upstairs to an office uh, that's potentially creating a national disaster here on the formula shortage. No doubt. Yeah, uh, completely agree with you there on that one, Dinner. So it seems like it could have been avoided, to say the Absolutely. least. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tanner, I have um, an interesting piece of news here that just came to light. Didn't realize this was going on. So I apologize to our listeners. We were not on top of this one. But China and Brazil have apparently been working out a deal to import Brazilian corn while China is continuing to be in lockdown. China's custom authorities or China's customs authority has have officially signed an agreement with Brazil to allow imports of Brazilian corn. And this was announced just Tuesday night as the government of both nations seek to boost trade relationships. The agreement on quarantine requirements for importing the corn was signed during talks between the nations this week. And, you know, ultimately that of of course, seems at first blush, Tanner, not positive news for the U.S. marketplace. However, some analysts I were, was reading this morning on the issue said, you know, actually, we do view 
this as fairly bullish for the marketplace in the fact that it shows China needs to continue to come to the table and continue to buy corn. So although they may not be buying directly from the United States, they will be buying, of course, from Brazil. And other countries that may have done Brazil business with Brazil otherwise may have to come to the U.S. or elsewhere. So they actually said it was a positive indication that China does, in fact, need the commodity. I could see that. And it probably just depends upon perspective as to your view on trade relationships with China. If we can develop and build stronger, more diversified trading relationships for our bushels. Great. I'm all for it. The last piece that I have for discussion here is just. Continue to watch inflation. Obviously, inflation is going to stick there, stick up your higher for longer than we might have already expected, uh, depending upon the different factors. But there is warning about us moving into stagflation. So as as we had talked about on this podcast, oh gosh, it seems like a couple of weeks ago about the inflation rates, but noticing around the world it's happening outside of the u.s stagflation is characterized by slow economic growth and relatively high unemployment or economic stagnation so that's what economists are predicting next and what that means for agriculture delaney is typically when there's less faith in stock market or investments of such money moves into commodities and money will move into physical assets which would be real estate So as we talk about land values and our commodities, uh, stagflation is a positive for those in value, but certainly makes it harder for our listeners to afford. But that's the last piece I've got for today, Delaney. I do not have any other news for today as well, Tanner, aside from just chatting markets here, of course, we're mid-morning recording this morning. And like I mentioned earlier, markets did not react super favorably uh, to some of the headlines we read this morning with corn and soybeans down on the day, mostly reacting to the Ukrainian news that they would likely be able to get some exports out on the market. Corn down about nine cents in new crop contracts, soybeans down about 12 cents in new crop. Wheat is also down hard today, down about 20 to 27 cents across both Kansas City and Chicago wheat. And in the protein complex, pretty much positive across the screen. Aside from the October live cattle contract down two pennies today, everything else up 10 to 20 cents in the live cattle and feeder cattle market and up a dollar plus in lean hogs today, Tanner. But cattle is actually a good segue into today's interview conversation. All right. I get the privilege this time of introducing our guest today. So we have Megan Clark with us today and uh, sitting in Clinton County, Iowa right now as we get ready to do this interview, but uh, stumbled across a fantastic TED Talk that she had put out, and we're here to talk to her a little bit to learn more about who she is, what she has going on, and where that TED Talk stemmed from. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So what's, uh, what's your daily life look like now? Because you're a recent high school graduate, correct? I am. I just had my commencement ceremony this past weekend, so I've been having a little bit more free time on my hands now that school's over. Cool. Well, tell us a little bit about your your tie to agriculture. What what brings you to the Ag News Daily Podcast? Definitely. So like he said, my name is Megan Clark. I'm a recent Central DeWitt graduate. 
And my tie to agriculture kind of has stemmed my whole life because I grew up on a diversified crop and livestock farm where we raise and show beef cattle. I typically show Simital influence cattle, but I've branched out a little bit. I've been an active member of 4-H and FFA since I was a fresh, since I was in fourth grade for 4-H and eighth grade for FFA. I've held officer positions in both, being a district officer for FFA, done a lot of different leadership activities throughout those different organizations. And another way I tie into agriculture is through my supervised agricultural experience through FFA. That SAE is called CAC Media Group, which is a team that consists of four different high school students. And we do a lot of different work with digital, social, and print media platforms. We do a lot of different traveling around the country to livestock shows, event conferences, and really just try to capture the positive stories of agriculture. Some of my biggest accomplishments with that SAE are hosting our own ag TV show called AgriVision. And then recently, what I'm here to talk about today, my TEDx talk that I was able to give about agriculture. So originally with my TEDx talk, I was kind of like introduced to the opportunity by our CAC media coach. She asked if I would be interested in talking about something. And I had a kind of the perfect idea to talk about for it. And I wanted to try and debunk some misconceptions that happen within animal agriculture. So I definitely took on the opportunity. Now, remember, this was back in 2020. And of course, things kind of shifted a little bit back then. So I did the interview process for the TED Talk in 2019, was selected and was supposed to give it in March of 2020. But then COVID happened. So then I had to hold back until 2021. And then 2021 approached and they said, nope, one more year. So recently in March of 2022, I was able to actually give the talk. And since then, it's been published on YouTube and you can find it under TEDx Youth at Davenport. And my talk is called What I Wish You Would Ask Me. Yeah, and we're really excited to talk to you more about that, Megan, because you're definitely a really great speaker for being just a recent high school graduate. But tell us a little more about For those of our listeners who don't know what TEDx Talks are, what are TEDx Talks and why did you give one? Right. So TEDx Talks, they're not exactly like as the highest standard of TED Talks, like the just general TED ones, but the TEDx Talks are more like on a lower scale, like a lot of different students do them or maybe like professionals that don't have as such big of a platform yet. So I decided to do it because I was just a student at the time. When I applied for it, I was only a sophomore in high school. My public speaking skills aren't to where they were today, aren't to where they are today. So I knew that it would be a good chance to kind of dip my toes in the water and it wouldn't be such a big event, but also it was a big enough event where I could get an audience to listen to me and I would have a bigger stepping stone to build my resume on and to kind of start building my own platform. So the COVID virus mm-hmm. actually uh, might have benefited you from having nearly two years to practice giving your presentation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what the basis of your presentation was? Right. So the pandemic, it was definitely had some pros and cons to it. Like the pros being that I was able to practice with it longer. I actually used the talk for an FFA contest that I did. I used the speech and turned it into a prepared public speaking address. So I was able to practice it and give it to a different audience before I actually gave the talk. And I did pretty well with it. I was ended up being second overall at the state contest for FFA. 
here in Iowa. So it was a really great experience, not only getting to share with more people, but also it kind of gave me some confidence in the fact that I knew that my talk was going to be beneficial. But like the cons I've said, like I had two years to practice. So it's two years of going over what can I change? What can I do to make it better? (laughs) And like, you're constantly critiquing yourself and what do I need to do? I mean, I know I like the back of my hand now, but yeah, you can definitely tell too, when you're watching the TEDx talk that you, I mean, you memorized all of it, which is really impressive. And (laughs) it's, A prepared speech, obviously, you mentioned that, but Mm -hmm. I want to dig a little bit deeper into why you gave this talk in particular, and maybe it's a good place to start with the story of how this TEDx talk began to take shape. Yeah, so I originally got the idea to talk about this because at the time I was seeing like a lot of different things on social media that some of my peers were even sharing about how like PETA does this and PETA does that and how agriculture is bad for the planet and at the time it was uh, I think it was circulating a lot about the fair life milk and how like dairy farmers are constantly abusing their animals and I wanted to show people that that's not always the case and even though it might be in some situations it's definitely not what everything in agriculture revolves around so I thought that I had a perfect story from something that had just happened at the Iowa State Fair like a couple months earlier So I wanted to use that story and incorporate it into a talk that I could give to kind of debunk some of those different misconceptions that people have. And really, I wanted to do it so I could encourage and show my classmates that not everything that goes on within agriculture is always viewed correctly by the media. And they oftentimes spew different images to make a profit or make it look like agriculture are the bad people. And I wanted to show them and even some of those people like activists that are incorrect about the information they're spewing that there's kids and different professionals within agriculture that are willing to step up and share the real facts about it. And I thought that if I could do that, it would not only benefit me, but it would also benefit a lot of the different agriculturalists within my own community. So Megan, what is the story of what happened to you at the state fair? So at the state fair in 2019, I was walking my heifer down the aisle of the beef bar, and a first-time fairgoer was there. He was with um, FFA ushers. I think he was going on some sort of tour, and he asked me what I was holding. Um, at the time, like, I didn't think that he knew much about agriculture, but I thought he would know, like, simple animals. And he actually asked me, oh, are you holding a horse? And I'm like, um, no, I'm not. It's a beef cow. And he was just really confused to see, like, because my heifer was a Charlet calf, so it was a white one. And he was like, oh, well, I thought they were black and had spots all over. And we kind of just had a conversation about how, like, there's dairy cows and there are beef cows. There's two different, there are two different types of things used for two different things. And it was really just, like, a good experience. Like, even though he didn't know much about agriculture, he was still able to learn just from stopping and having a conversation with me. It's, that is great to observe what had happened I sure it felt weird in the moment it felt really awkward because coming from Iowa a very rural state I live in a very rural community I would have I was really surprised that there's people that even come from this state that don't know like simple things within agriculture like what a horse looks like what a cow looks like so since you've given this TEDx talk what other opportunities have presented themselves for you to kind of educate people about agriculture right So since I've given this talk, uh, not only has it kind of like boomed on Facebook, I shared it, our media page shared it, and then our school shared it eventually. So then 
it was kind of circulating around my own community, but then I saw it was being shared by people throughout the state of Iowa, people within the cattle industry. Like once you know one person in the cattle industry, it's a big family. So they shared it. So then so-and-so looked at it and they shared it. And since that, then I've just had a lot of different opportunities to connect with different people within agriculture and just talk about some of the things that they've experienced personally with other misconceptions. And since giving my TEDx talk, since it was so recent and I haven't really been doing much within like communications, just because I've been focusing more on like high school graduation, college things, I haven't done anything super specific. I mean, I've been writing articles for like local newspapers and things like that. But I've also worked on our FFA trailer, which um, is a kind of different idea. It's an ag-, ag education trailer that travels around in the community. Uh, I've done a little bit with that, but since my TEDx talk, I've kind of had a lot going on. So it's been a uh-huh. little different. Rightfully so. Uh, <laughs> I I really like the title of your TED talk. Thank you. And it's, it's what I wish you would ask me or yeah, wish correct. you would have asked me. So uh, on another podcast that I host, we try to ask all of our expert guests and our, our guests that are friends of ours the same question in every single episode. And I want to get permission to use this question as we switch it up here mid-year. Is that all right? Go for it. I just think it's a, it's a fantastic way of, of putting somebody in a position to where they can tell a story that they want to tell. And in your case, it was, it was very cool to see that had enough perspective to say, no, ask me more. Uh, how about right. this? Or, or, or provide me an opportunity to share instances like that. So that makes me curious, what's the next steps for Megan? What's the future for Megan look like? So like I said, I'm attending Iowa State to major in agricultural communications. But over the summer, I would really like to get involved with maybe an internship that revolves around communications. I'm also really interested on the political side of agricultural policy and things. So maybe working as a lobbyist someday in the future. And also coming up in October, I've had the chance from state convention this past April, I was the overall winner in extemporaneous speaking. So I'll be going to nationals for that in the fall. And also my agricultural communications proficiency award won at the Iowa state level. So now it goes on to the national level as well. So October, it's going to be a pretty busy month for me in the FFA side of things and agricultural communications. So I'm really excited to use this TED Talk and try and use it to my advantage for some of those final round of rounds and interviews. Megan, I feel like we're going to see you a lot in the future as you get into your career. Maybe we'll have to hire you for the podcast someday, but nonetheless, we certainly appreciate <laughs> you coming on and joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. There you go, Delaney. What a great conversation with a really positive light on the future of agriculture. It's nice to see somebody so passion, passionate at such a young age about clarifying the message agriculture has to deliver. Absolutely. And yeah, she might be one to keep an eye on here, Tanner, as uh, she progresses into her career. It's hard to believe she's just be heading into her freshman year of college. Yeah. That'll be a fun one to watch. But listeners, thanks for sticking around with us for today. Delaney, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.